Hello and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We pray that as you listen to this message, it helps you grow closer to God and inspires you to live like Jesus. Thanks for listening. Here's the message. If you guys have been around at all, you've heard us talk about, uh, acknowledge the phrase Kingdom Co. And really what Kingdom Co. stands for is Kingdom company, our theme for the year, something that we want to continuously revisit, something we want to illuminate, something we want to emphasize for the entirety of 2022 is that we are a company of kingdom people. This is our focus for the year, growing in our awareness that we're part of not an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom that manifests itself in the earth. Amen? We're growing in our knowledge of our king and what it looks like to submit ourselves to his reign and to his rule. There's a, sorry, I tried to block my mic if you notice that and it didn't work. There's privileges that come with uh, being a part of the kingdom. There's an authority that comes with being part of the kingdom, but there's also an expectation from our king on what the culture of the kingdom of God looks like. He lays this out in his Sermon on the Mount, first couple chapters of Matthew. Uh, And what we'll find is the kingdom of God is in direct opposition to the kingdom of darkness. There's, in the grand scheme of things, in the spiritual realm, there's really only two kingdoms to be a part of, right? You have your kingdom of darkness, but as we read a couple weeks ago, we've been, through faith in Jesus, we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness. Come on, this is good news, right? So all these old mindsets, all these old demons, all these old spiritual strongholds, Jesus broke them off. He broke them off. He made us new. I got new privileges. My, my, my dad's the king. You know what I'm saying? I get to, get to go and do whatever he commands that I can do, okay? It's vast. But we'll find that the kingdom of darkness is in direct opposition to the kingdom of light. And unfortunately, uh, Paul talks about this war that's gonna take place in our soul between our flesh and the spirit, and they're constantly at war. There's really a war taking place in our mind. And so much about right behavior is about right belief. We know that, right? But, But what we find is the kingdom of darkness, it appeals to our flesh. And we have this tendency to want to indulge, indulge and embrace those things our flesh does. I think mainly because the kingdom of darkness offers artificial instant gratification. That's what it offers. You want to feel good? Do this. You're mad? Act like this. Right? You, oh, you don't want to get in trouble? Lie. It'll make it all better. It's instant gratification. Right? This is, this is what it is. There's a distinct, the kingdom of God consists of characteristics like patience. How many of us love patience? The kingdom of God consists of self-denial, self-control, love, holiness, kindness, goodness, thinking of others, serving others. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. The kingdom of darkness, in contrast, looks like its characteristics look like this. Instantaneous responses based on feelings of my flesh, not patience. Compromising 
when something becomes inconvenient, not enduring. Self-indulgence rather than self-denial. And you see as the trend continues, they're in direct opposition to each other. But part of the beauty and being welcome into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus is that as I set out to now live as a citizen of heaven, to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God, yes, there's an expectation, there's a new culture that I'm coming into agreement with, that I'm submitting my life to, that is in direct opposition to the kingdom of darkness, but he gives me himself self. He gives me him, his presence. He gives me his power through his spirit to live it out. I don't have to do it alone. His spirit joins with my spirit and I am legitimately made new. This is good news. This is what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom. And what I found to be true, nothing profound here, but what I found to be true is kingdom living is only going to manifest in our life if we're willing to make Jesus Lord of our life, right? And here's a little secret. If you miss everything, if you check out, if maybe some of y'all have already checked out, but if you get nothing else from the message, this is, I, I want this to be your takeaway for the whole day. Living with Jesus as Lord means living a life of kingdom worship. And I'm gonna take all morning to break that down and explain really what that means. But living with Jesus as Lord means that my whole life becomes worship to him, okay? So today we start week one of a series. It's our summer series. We're gonna stay in this for a while. It's called Kingdom Worship. And I think so much of this series is gonna be learning about what kingdom worship looks like, but it's also gonna be about unlearning what kingdom worship is, right? For the, the little box that we've put worship in and what we think it is and what it looks like, I think it's more vast. I think it's more broad. I think it's greater than some of us may recognize. So today's message is titled, It Starts With Hearts. I made that one up. <laughs> I said, Chad, what do you think about this title? He says, I like it. I said, you better. Come on. It Starts With Hearts. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. I love preaching your word. God, I'm humbled that you'd allow me to do this week in and week out. I pray for an anointing from your Holy Spirit to minister powerfully and effectively. I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would till the soil of our heart, help it be fertile ground to receive the seed of your truth and let it take root in our heart, let it grow to produce fruit in our lives. We wanna be more like Jesus. We wanna live in the fullness of the kingdom of God. We wanna live as citizens of heaven right now. Empower us through your spirit to do that. Empower us to not only hear your word, but apply your word. And I pray we'd continue to foster kids. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanna jump right into the scriptures this morning. So if you got your Bibles, you can turn with me to John 4. We're gonna spend some time in John chapter four. And while you turn there and while you journey there, I just wanna set up a little bit of the context of what's happening in this specific moment in the scriptures. Jesus is traveling with his disciples. He's leaving Judea and he wants to get to Galilee. If you look at a biblical map, you'll see that Judea is here, Galilee is here, Samaria is right here. Okay, did everybody see that this side? Okay. So Jesus, it's a long walk. You, you, look at, you look at the map, it takes multiple days. I should have looked up how long the walk was specifically, but I don't know. It's a long walk though. 
And Jesus is wore out from his journey. The scriptures say Jesus was tired. Come on, and that'll preach in itself that we serve a God who knows what it feels like to be tired, who knows what it feels like to be scared, who knows what it feels like to be anxious. We don't have a God that doesn't understand what we're walking through, but in fact, he walked through all of it for you and I. But that's not the message. Jesus was tired, sat down about noontime by a well. Jesus is by himself. His disciples have run off to get some food. And while Jesus is sitting there, there's a Samaritan woman who approaches the well, a story we're very familiar with. I've preached on this sermon or this passage many times, but she approaches this well and Jesus engages in a conversation with her. Now, if you're not familiar with biblical antiquity, then you don't know that it's strange for Samaritans and Jews to interact. There's lots of animosity between these two people groups, okay? This, there's, they are clearly segregated. In fact, if someone had to get from uh, Judea to Galilee, they probably would have made way, found way to get around Samaria. Even though you gotta walk through it to get there, I'm sure they probably would have found a way around it because because they are seen as half-breeds in the eyes of Jews. They are, we, we don't associate with them. They're dirty, they're unclean. So this is, uh, she, so she's surprised that Jesus is, is even engaging in conversation with her. Culturally, this is entirely inappropriate. But there's one part of the conversation that I, that I wanna make reference to, and, and we could go through this whole passage. I feel like I could preach 10 messages out of this one passage. But there's a specific part of their conversation I wanna reference today. But Jesus asked the woman for a drink. They're sitting at the well. She's coming to collect water. Jesus asked the woman for a drink. She's like, why are you talking with me? You know, this is, she can't even believe that Jesus would take time to interact. And Jesus is like, if you only knew uh, the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, uh, it wouldn't be about me asking you for water, but you would ask me for living water because I'll, I'll give you living water so you'll never thirst again, right? And we know he's talking about his presence, his spirit, the living water that leads to eternal life. Amen? And then Jesus reads her mail. As they're sitting there, Jesus reads her mail. And I think this is hilarious. He goes, go get your husband. She's like, uh, I don't have a husband. He goes, I know, but you have had five. And the dude you're living with right now, you're not married to. I know there may be some people in the room you ain't married yet. And I just want to say this get married. Just get married. And if the dude won't marry you, break up with him. Okay? We don't, we don't, we don't, come on. We don't get the goodies without the commitment. Amen? Seriously, seriously. Come on, it's, it's, it's time. We're a company of kingdom people. It's time we started living to honor God with every aspect of our life. If it's a financial thing, go to the courtroom, get the paper signed, get, have, the mar- have the wedding when you can afford it, okay? Mom and dad, somebody shout amen. You're like, come on, priest. Like, this is, get married, get married. Marriage is a good thing. It's a good thing. Uh, God says that, that wife is a good thing and favor received from the Lord. You don't gotta be scared, it'll be a good thing. Different message, different message. Where was I? What was I even talking about? Okay, Jesus is reading her mail, sorry. Jesus is reading her mail. Jesus is reading her mail, and uh, she's blown away that Jesus would have this kind of insight without have never interacting, interacting with her in any way before. And so she's like, wow, I guess you really are a prophet. And... Um, I don't, I don't know if it's because she's uncomfortable or now she recognizes that Jesus has uh, divine wisdom 
and he has access to God maybe in a way that she doesn't or knowledge of God maybe in a way that she doesn't. But right after uh, she recognizes he's a prophet, maybe she just changes the subject because she's uncomfortable, I don't know. She asks him a, an interesting question. I wanna look at the text, John 4, 19 through 24. It says this. After Jesus reads her mail, uh, he says, sir, the, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? So what she's implying, this is, this is the great debate. Our, 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 our tongues for today are not. This is, this, is what they, this is what they're arguing about, right? This is a theological debate that's taken place between the Jews and the Samaritans forever. I want, and I, I wanna get into this because I think this is important. But she's saying apparently there's been some disagreement between the Jews and Samaritans. What is the right place of worship? What is the most authentic place of worship? She's like, is it Mount Gerizim? Because that's what we think and that's where we worship. And we got, a, we got a nice tem temple built for God on that mountain. And Moses built an altar on that mountain. There's a lot of cool things on Mount Gerizim. But a lot of those Jews seem to think that it's Jerusalem is, is the temple. Okay, so there's, I, I want to pull this apart. Because, again, this is just a small part of the conversation. But I think that there's a lot in this, especially as we consider what kingdom worship is. So here's a little Bible history. Uh, don't fall asleep on me, everybody. Say, I'm here. here. Say, I'm ready. ready. All right, little Bible history to help us understand all this better. In the Old Testament, we see the 12 tribes of Israel, right? The 12 tribes, and eventually they split into two kingdoms, your northern kingdom, your southern kingdom, okay? The capital of the northern kingdom is Samaria. The capital of the southern kingdom is Jerusalem, okay? Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Both of these kingdoms that originated as Jewish kingdoms with, that served the Jewish God will eventually be taken over by pagan nations, northern Assyrians, southern Babylonians, okay? So now we recognize some of those names. We've heard some of those names in the Old Testament. Um, so uh, the northern kingdom, which has Samaria as the capital, is eventually overtaken by Assyrians. And when Assyrians take it over, they take all of the Israelites. So you have your, your kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel. Then you have the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern. So we're talking about the northern kingdom, which uh, Samaria is the capital of. When the Assyrians take over the northern kingdom, they take all of the Israelites with them, except just a few. Okay, they leave a couple lingering. And they replenish the Israelites that they've taken with Assyrian people. So this is part of how they're gonna change the culture, part of how they're gonna introduce their pagan customs, rituals, and religions. Uh, so as these people start to live together, as they intermingle, uh, you see all of a sudden the culture starts to change. What started as a Jewish nation as, and as a Jewish culture becomes, starts to get contaminated with its pagan influence. Two totally different demographics of people, Assyrians and Israelites, start to intermingle, start to bleed together. And then as you study, you'll find out that the Samaritans hang on 
to the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, okay? The first five books of the Old Testament. So they still honor those texts, but they reject any of the new words of the prophets, the, the things that come after, into the book of Joshua and on. So you'll see they'll, they'll miss a lot of what God is doing because they aren't accepting what the prophets are doing. They keep those five books, so there's something that kind of looks like Judaism, but then there's pagan influence as well. Are y'all with me? We're good, paying attention. So essentially, the Samaritans embrace a religion that's a mixture of Judaism and idolatry. And they accept this as truth. So what all their practices, all that they believe, those that they idolize in the scripture or that they, they, they you could see where Moses has this heavy emphasis. Um, Moses was on Mount Gerizim. He offered, he, he set up an altar on Mount Gerizim. So they put great value on Mount Gerizim, which is right by Samaria, Okay. So you have the southern kingdom that has the capital, Jerusalem, and we know Jerusalem becomes the epicenter for Jews of worship. This is where Solomon prays, and the glory of the Lord fills it. The Ark of the Covenant is in the, the, the temple in Jerusalem. So you could say, like, it's not necessarily about who's right or who's wrong, but the Samaritans, the reality is they're missing what God's doing. They're missing his continued revelation of the day because they're only accepting those five books. So the Jews in Jerusalem, that's where they're, the purity of that Jewish religion, they're experiencing God. God's still, uh, he's anointing kings and he's moving through people and he's setting up a temple and a priesthood and he's developing all this and he's still revealing himself to the people. So you have these Jews, you have these Samaritans who are unwilling to receive this as truth, to adopt the purity of the Jewish beliefs. They're, they're staying in their northern kingdom and it creates this animosity between the two. Even when Babylon takes over the southern kingdom and then the Jews come back with Nehemiah and they start rebuilding the temple and the walls, y'all remember that? The Samaritans are plotting on how they can stop them from building because they don't want them to rebuild the temple. And in the meantime, they've rebuilt a temple to rival that in Jerusalem on Mount Gerizim. So when she talks about what's the right place to worship, is it Mount Gerizim or is it the temple in Jerusalem? This is what she's making reference to. And, and over time, there's been, through everything they've been through, the Jews, they don't even want to associate with the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, they don't even want to associate with the Jews. We got it right. No, we got it right. No, this is where we work. No, this is where you're supposed to worship. It's all about where, what is the proper place of worship. And when the Samaritan woman recognizes that Jesus is bare minimum, a prophet of God, is receiving revelation, divine knowledge from God, um, she thinks to pull out this religious question, this religious debate that's gone on for hundreds of years and says, can you solve this for me then? What's the right place? What's the proper place to worship God? The temple in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim? 
and again, whether she's actually looking for the answer or she just wants to change the subject because she's uncomfortable, Jesus is reading her mail, might be a mixture of both. I, I, I think what we see in Jesus' response is profound. But before I even read that, I wonder about us and what we view as proper worship, what we consider to be acceptable worship. What do our ideas of worship look like? Really, what, what, what small box have we put worship into? Because my fear is maybe some of us have confined it. We've deduced it down to a weekend service or a once-a-week event that we do. Worship is not just music. It definitely isn't a performance. Worship isn't some euphoric feeling we're constantly chasing. And I'm just concerned that there's believers in the church who thinks raising our hands and singing our favorite Christian songs is what the Lord intended kingdom worship to look like. And that's what we think worship is. In, in part of what I want to do before we even, and, and we'll, we'll talk about all that. We'll talk about music. We'll talk about hand raising. We'll, we'll break down that aspect of worship. But before we even get into the details of any of that, I, I felt on day one, week one of kingdom worship, I, I had to make known that worship is far more invasive, far more vast, uh, far more than just a song that we sing. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We'll discover, as we continue to move through the text, we'll discover that every moment of every day, there exists the opportunity to worship the Lord. Every moment of every day exists an opportunity to worship the Lord. So this Samaritan woman has asked Jesus, which is the right place? which is the right place. Here's his response. It's so good. You know, Jesus never, he's just never answering questions directly. You know, he's like, he's always got some roundabout way to answer it that just makes you feel silly. I love it. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain, which is Mount Gerizim, or in Jerusalem. He goes, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, a.k.a you missed a lot of what I was doing. While we Jews know all about him because we continue to hear and follow and be obedient to the Lord, and we Jews know a lot about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here. Just a quick side note, this is gonna be another message one day. Story of the prodigal son. So we read it. And we think it's about, you know, our lost family members. And that's, and that's an, uh, an accurate application. That's totally fine. But when Jesus was giving that parable, in the greater scheme, it was about the two kingdoms. One that had strayed. One that had stayed faithful. The other brother, one that came back. And about how he would make those things whole again. That's just for free right there. <clears throat> Verse 23, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. This is Jesus still talking. When true worshipers, say true worshipers, because that's what we want to be, right? True worshipers. Lay it on us, Jesus. What does it mean? What does it look like to be a true worshiper? But the time is coming indeed. It's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. God is spirit. God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in and in. They must worship him in and in. So maybe we read Jesus' response and we say, man, that's good. We have no idea what he's talking about. What do, you, what do you mean worship him in spirit and in truth? And I wanna try and make this super, super, super simple. But the Samaritan woman, her focus is on approaching the place, the right place where the presence of God is dwelling. In, in approaching, she's concerned about, I wanna approach the presence of God in the right place at the right time with the right people. But Jesus is basically saying, right now, you approach the dwelling place of his presence for a moment, but soon, in fact, the time is now when you will actually become the dwelling place of his presence. Therefore, if the presence is here, if I become the temple, worship can never leave. Y'all didn't catch it? Where you will worship him in spirit and in truth. It was always about the tabernacle or the temple that housed the presence of God. But we clearly see in the New Testament, Jesus is gonna give his believers his spirit. Paul's gonna tell us you're living stones making up his temple. Paul's gonna, temp Paul's gonna tell us honor your bodies. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Those were pictures of what the people of God would become. We are temples. You and I are temples. So if the presence of God is dwelling within us, worship needs to always exist in that place. So what does it mean to worship him in spirit and in truth? Again, I wanna, I wanna make a seemingly complex idea really simple. For God is, verse 24 says, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, which leads us to believe that God is not confined to the limitations of man, okay? So therefore, he can be everywhere, always through his spirit. He's an invisible person who is present in all places at one and the same time, who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful. He is perfect in all his ways. The scripture tells us God is spirit. Jesus is telling this woman, God no longer has a certain place on earth for worship. The time is coming. Now, those who believe on the Lord, in the Lord, Jesus can worship God at any time in any place. True worship means that a believer enters the presence of God by faith and there praises and worships him. His body may be in a den, prison, or a field, but his spirit can draw near. Jesus announced to the woman, from now on, worship the Father in spirit and truth. I stole this from a commentary and I just want to read it word for word because I thought it was really good. And, and it helps us understand how Jesus is speaking to both demographics. How even though the Jews did maybe some more things right, they still don't have it totally right. Okay, so he speaks to the Samaritans, then he takes time to speak to the Jews. So it says, the Jewish people had reduced worship 
to outward forms and ceremonies. It's about being ritually clean and bringing animals to sacrifice them, okay? This is, this is our worship, and worship takes place at the temple. So it's about, it's about these sacrifices and making sure we do everything in line and, and doing it right. So the Jewish people had reduced worship to an outward forms and ceremonies. They thought that by religiously adhering to the letter of the law and going through certain rituals, they were worshiping the Father. But theirs was not worship of the Spirit. It was outward, it wasn't inward, okay? Their bodies might be bowed down on the ground, but their hearts were not right before God. And this is what the Spirit of God has done for us, right? It's a place, it's a work that's taken place in our heart. It's not about performing, it's about submitting to what he's done in our heart. Ezekiel prophesied, I'm gonna give my people new hearts. I'm gonna remove their hearts of stone. I'm gonna give them hearts of flesh, okay? So you have the Jews who it's become about like what you do, this kind of this outward expression, uh, being ritually clean, offering the right sacrifices. But the Samaritans, on the other hand, um, had a form of worship, but it was false. They were missing truth. It had no scriptural authority. They had stated their own religion and were carrying out ordinances of their own invention because they didn't continue to hear from the Lord and from his prophets. Thus, when the Lord said that worship must be in spirit and in truth, he was rebuking both the Jews and the Samaritans. Isn't this good? But he was also informing them that now that he had come, it was possible for men to draw near to God through him in true and sincere worship. The Father is seeking such to worship him. God is interested in the adoration of his people. The question to ask ourselves is, does he receive this from me? Paul makes it even more clear what it looks like to worship in spirit and in truth in Romans 12.1. I know we all know this verse. I know we've shared it a million times, but it's so good. And the word of God is so good. He says this, also, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Listen to this. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable Okay, so the way that we live our lives, the holiness of our own lives, the way that I honor him in everything that I do, let your lives, your lives, not your Sunday morning three songs worship, let your lives be a living sacrifice. Why? Because this is truly the way we worship him. You know how the scriptures talk about obedience is better than sacrifice? Well, I think part of the reason that was said is because eventually those two things would become one. My obedience to God every single day, when I'm by myself, when I'm in front of others, when I feel like it, when I don't feel like it, submitting my will to his will, laying down my desires for his desires, guess what? I don't always feel like it. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it goes against my flesh. But that's also the temple that's inside. That's how I truly worship him. That's my sacrifice. My obedience is my sacrifice to him. So obedience is better than sacrifice. I think it was said because he's saying there's coming a day where they're going to be the same thing. We often hear the scriptures teach obedience desired over sacrifice. 
But now we recognize, we see Paul's word. Let your lives be a holy, holy and living sacrifice. Now we see that our obedience actually is our sacrifice to the God that's dwelling within us. So every moment of every day, through my yes to him, through no to the things of evil. It's constant worship. It's constant offerings of sacrifices. This is a temple. This is a temple. Does this make sense? Y'all get it? And, it's, and, and what I love is, is we're not on our own. He's like, I'm gonna give my spirit to help you do it. This is truly the way we worship him. The prophet Ezekiel, he prophesied in the Old Testament that God, through his spirit, would give his people a new heart. He'd remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Paul told us if anyone is in Christ, they've been made a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. New callings, new gifts, new purposes, new desires, a whole new kingdom with a whole new culture. That's what we receive in Jesus Christ. And God is seeking out true worshipers, but it starts with a transformation of the heart. His, his, his uh, uh, Colossians tells us how Jesus indwells, inhabits our heart. The throne room is in our heart. He's on the throne of our, our king sits on the throne of our heart. And he watches all our actions and he, can, he knows our motives and our intent. And I can worship him with every single one of those things when I give him my yes. What a powerful revelation to know that I, I don't just worship God in a temple with rituals and sacrifices, but I worship God by loving my wife well. I worship God by staying honest with my employees. I worship God by guarding my eyes on my own smartphone. Why? Because I'm his temple. And worship takes place here. And his presence is holy. And his presence is burning so brightly within me, it's making me holy. And it sounds so cliche, but I feel like when we take time to break it down like we did, maybe it has more meaning. But kingdom worship is a kingdom lifestyle. Our worship is not confined to three songs on a Sunday morning. Worship exists in every detail of every day. This kind of worship, it, it, it's not, not the worship of hitting the right note with tears streaming down my eyes and only in, raised high in a dark room. The kind of worship that pleases him is a heart that's only intent is to honor him. So, like I said, in this series, uh, uh, we're going to go through music, we're, we're going to go through praising God, we're going to go through Hebrew words for praise, which is about raising your hands and, and all types of stuff, we're going to get in it. But before we address any of that, I wanted to get this right. I wanted to get this right. Um, it, it's, it, it's about worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Our worship carries on far beyond these four walls on a Sunday morning. It's not about right rituals in the right places at the right times with the right people. It's about worship him, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And it's far less about the external. The Lord is most concerned with the condition of our internal. So I want to close here with uh, Matthew 15. 
That just gives us a, a, a small picture of this, and then I'll wrap this thing up. Jesus is approaching the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, who are Jewish and who are concerned with the right people, the right rituals, in the right places, at the right time, all of that. And I just want to see how, you know, Jesus addresses this. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our old age tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. Jesus, why don't your disciples follow the rules? Why, why don't they really live for God? Why, why don't they really live holy? Why don't they do the right rituals? And Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? So I don't have time to go into it because we'll be here for another hour. But just to make it clear, Jesus is going to address how uh, Pharisees would keep their money for themselves rather than help their family members, which was actually biblical to do. But they said, our money belongs to the Lord, so we're going to keep it. Okay, that's like Cliff Notes version. So let's continue. And why do you by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God. For instance, God says, honor your mother, your father. And I don't know. I was wondering that. That's not worse than being in spirit and truth, I can tell you that. Honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips. They sing the songs on Sunday morning. But their hearts, it starts with heart. Let's try that again. It starts with But their hearts are far from me. Their lips honor me, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. You can see he's so concerned with the condition of our heart that our worship wouldn't just be about what's right, what looks good, and then, and then policing everybody else to make sure they're doing it too. Jesus just wants a heart that's fully devoted on honoring him, on recognizing him as Lord, on praising him as Lord, a, a heart that'll worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and as I was reading this, I was reminded of David's psalm. And I'm sure this won't be the last time David comes up in this series because he's uh, pivotal to just worship and, and what we learn about worship in the text. But I, but I just wanted to read this. You, you can see and you can hear in David's words that David isn't concerned about anybody else. And I'm not saying don't hold each other accountable and iron sharpens iron, blah, blah, blah. I get it. I get it. But his worship to the Lord you can, you can see with the Pharisees, it's like, it's all external. It's all external. It's all external. And, it, and it's about other people. It's, it's not even vertical. It's just, it's just horizontal. And David, you can see, is just inward. God, I, I wanna, it, it's about making sure 
He's all that God is purposing, intending, and calling, empowering him to be. Let's read it together. Psalm 19. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my own heart? God, even when I'm living my best for you, there's sin that exists within me that I can't even see, taste, hear, or smell, or recognize. God, I'm polluted by sin, and it exists even when I don't see it or feel it. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. God, I want my heart pure. The things I know about, the things I don't know about, rid all of it from me, Lord. Purify it. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of my great sin. And here's the part that I love. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. This is what David was concerned with. A heart fixated on him. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Before we go into worship here, if you can take this if you want. Man, maybe you're in the room. I don't know if you've been coming for a couple weeks. It's your first time here. But the scripture teaches us that Jesus, uh, that all things were created through him and for him. That through faith in Jesus, your sins would be purified. That if we don't have faith in Jesus, that our eternity is hell. Through faith in Jesus, we have eternity with him. He makes us new. He washes us clean. He does for us what nobody could do. He loves you. He created you. He's named you his masterpiece. And we receive this kingdom in faith. So if you're in the room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're like, man, I want to... I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to surrender my life. I want to be someone who worships him in spirit and in truth. I want him to, I want to become a temple of the Holy Spirit. It starts with faith in Jesus. It starts with our yes to him. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Destiny Church, how to get connected or give online, visit destinychurch.me. Have a great week.